Hello, friends. This is your Highlands Bunker podcast for the week. Before we get started today, I want to tell you a story. The, uh, the date is June of 2010. A group of friends and I go down to the pub here, Catherine Rooney's, to watch a World Cup match. The country of Ghana will play the United States in a knockout game from Rustenburg in South Africa. The pub is more crowded than normal, obviously. There's about 50 of us that go normally. We see all of our friends, people from the neighborhood. It's a USA match. People are into it. It's the summertime. It's a Saturday. People fucking dig it. Everybody's pumped up, too, because not only did the United States make the knockout, which means they, they got through the group stage and they're playing this knockout, uh, they also had a really great sort of pre-tournament. They were invited to a pre-tournament in South Africa where they, they played very well, so everybody's mood's really up and everybody's getting into it. Sides come out. They, the way I remember it is they start the Ghanaian National Anthem. And all of a sudden into a pub with... 200, 300 people in it. Here comes fucking maniac. Like six foot four maniac with the fucking Ghana flag as a cape. Like fucking Superman. Like African Superman. Starts singing the Ghanaian national anthem and people are like, what the fuck is happening? And I just remember looking at a few people and being like, fucking Frank. <laughs> and uh, the moral of the story is that. Uh, Ghana won by cheating in extra time. Um, Don't two be a one. loser. It was cheating. I mean, you, you know, you cheated. <laughs> Do you remember who scored the, the winning goal? No. I don't remember either. No, no. I remember it was um, Gyan, right? The guy. Yeah. Asamoyan. Asamoyan, yeah. Because yeah. I remember um, Dempsey had a penalty and, and tied it because they scored. Ghana. Well, the best part was so now everybody's in this. In this haze from this maniac who did this, and we're trying to explain this is Ghana Frank. We know this guy. He's like with us, right? And like we're doing that in a kickoff, and we're, people are still like, they don't know what to do. And and uh, and literally, Ghana got a goal in the first like four minutes. <laughs> and everybody, like literally, people were still confused. And then people started getting mad. <laughs> yes, it was interesting. So I've known our guest today a very long time. Uh, Frank Hansen uh, is a, a friend of ours. We met him uh, basically at the pub, uh, you know, through watching football from 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 Europe. Uh, but he uh, he's a he teaches carpentry at uh, the St. George's Votech, uh, and he just won a cool grant from uh, Wilmington University. Uh, so we're going to talk about all that. But he has a cool story, so. Uh, let's get into it. Frank, thanks for coming. Hey, thank you, man. Yeah, that was an interesting uh, day, wasn't it? Uh, I mean, it was pretty interesting, <laughs> yes. I had so much fun. It was, but it was it was great seeing people's faces, you know, and uh, I think a lot of people didn't see anyone coming in with that many Americans in a pub and uh, have the... Uh, the kahunas to just come in and then go that crazy in there. So it was inter it was interesting, you know. 
I made some friends, you know, after that. People who were even mad at me, they still, you know, they realized, like, man. Well, that's how we met going down there. And people, you know, it was actually, you know, 10 years ago, 12 years ago. Uh, it was a thing, you know. We had 50 people maybe from, we had you know, Russian guy. And, oh, you know, definitely. Guys from yeah. Africa. We had, a, you know, a lot of expats from England. And we met a lot of people there. Um, you know, so it was a big day out. It, and it was fun, though. I think that's one of the best times I've had. Since I'm sure I've, you. I, you know. I don't have a lot of good memories of it. <laughs> we did get we did get a little bit of. Uh, we got payback. Yes, payback. you did. Yes, I was I was so sad on that day. <laughs> yes, I was really sad because I I mean I had such high hopes for a team on that time, but I think U.S. did something that they have not done, and that's they played as if they belonged. That was the first time I've seen them play. That any time they've been at a World Cup, they play. They play. They have good plays. They play well. But I can always see they have these uh, spells where they act like, "Wow, we are really at the World Cup," you know. And, and I feel like that's what always tr end up tripping them up because by the time they realize the game is over and they're losing, but then the the payback time, they really, they came in, they had a, what they wanted to do, and then they ex executed uh, their plan. So it was, it was good. I was sad, but it was, uh, you know. <laughs> so before we get to Catherine Rooney's and how we kind of all met up in the neighborhood, we always start from the beginning. And actually, I don't know too much about, I mean, I know little bits and pieces about you growing up in Ghana, but, like, yeah, where did you grow up? What was it like? Um and and like you know how how did you find yourself coming to the united states man that's a a long story but i i grew up in uh i grew up in ghana i i had a a loving mom uh, and um an okay dad i mean that's a fact my um, i love my mom you know i love my dad but my mom was a lot more influential in my life. We'll talk about Garaba. Yeah. Uh, you know, that's going exactly, yeah. to be a big theme. Yes. So uh, so I grew up with uh, three uh, brothers and then uh, one sister. But now we've said two sisters because my mom ended up adopting uh, one of my cousins. So now we became a family of uh, six. And um, I was... Uh, between my, my mom already had a son, and then my dad also had a, a son. But between my mom and my dad, I'm the oldest. Uh, so uh, I, we grew up, you know, we didn't come from a lot of money. Uh, my mom owns a store uh, where she sells fabrics, and a lot of the clothes that you see me when I come uh, from Ghana, I'm wearing the clothes that I, I got from um, her store. And then I have, I have a couple of friends that will make uh, the uh, clothing shirts and stuff like that for me so my mom basically has been doing that i'm 46 now for since i as a kid that's all that i knew that my mom has ever done and then my dad worked as a agricultural extension officer basically what it was was um ghana in the early 70s they were moving into mechanized farming so they needed extension officers who were the ones that were teaching the farmers how to do mechanized farming 
But my dad, by trade, is actually a, a, a draftsman. He designed um, buildings. He did uh, do design houses. You know, now we call them architect because now it's a college level uh, courses. But it used to be you go out in the high school and then you, you learn like a trade. You learn the trade, yes, to be a draftsman. So my dad uh, did that, and uh, so I grew up in. Uh, I was born in a small town. But then my parents, because my dad got transferred to a bigger city, which is Cape Coast, uh, which was the first uh, capital of Ghana. So we moved there. And then that's where I went through uh, all my high school, from elementary school all the way through high school. That's where I went. I I always wanted to be a lawyer uh, growing up. I mean, and you are I, very argumentative. <laughs> yes, true. I am. I enjoy uh, good arguments. And then I ended up, uh, but my, my mom's uh, younger sister's husband owned a construction company, which ended up becoming a family business. So by that time, I knew I wasn't going to go uh, to be a lawyer. So instead of me going to a traditional high school, I ended up going to a vocational high school. And then I did the vocational high school, and then I ended up uh, going to work for my, uh, my uncle in the family business. And then uh, I did, I worked for about a year or two, and then I went to college. So when I went to college, now I knew what I was going to do because I knew I was going to college to come back and work in the family business. And and, and that's what I ended up doing. And uh, I worked in, uh, after that, I worked there. I actually have some big projects that I work on. The Supreme Court building of Ghana. So Ghana already, we had a Supreme Court building. But then we needed to build an annex, which should be bigger than the old one, because now it was a develop. Uh, it's a lot more developed than when uh, the British uh, helped build our Supreme Court. So we had to build one. So I was the one who actually started that, built it up to a certain point before I moved to the U.S. So the project is actually that's one of my biggest projects that I worked on. But I did a lot of. Uh, Commercial construction uh, built for uh, like uh, about one of my projects was about uh, 50 uh, apartments for uh, one of our uh, ministries of uh, roads and transportation for their staff. Because Ghana is a developing country, a lot of uh, government agencies will build uh, accom uh, staff uh, accommodation so that you know they can have their staff members living in the same area, living that gives them the opportunity to be able to afford public uh, housing we'll talk public about it. Uh, yeah we'll talk about in a lot of ways yes so that that's what i did and uh in 2002 i met my ex-wife and so we because of yeah I, I mean i know rob always gets uh i know you get all fired up about my religion uh my love of religion we'll and talk all about that, that too much <laughs> so, so i met, i don't know if you know this i'm building a religion <laughs> but i'm building it bigger i'm i'm widening the corridor and i'm adding new lanes oh are you adding new lanes yes we're it's, we're gonna we're, and we're, that's we're, the we're, thing we're if you can if you can open up those lanes because there will be people who have certain beliefs about certain things but they actually align with you on a lot more things than the we are going to talk about that but before we do let's talk about uh your ex-wife, Lil Frank's mom. So, like, yes, my, uh, and and your your journey to yeah, uh, so, our shores. So when I met her, I had already been to uh, London. So 
for me, I already knew how life is in the Western world. In the, you know, been to London for vacation and things like that. Uh, by the time I met her, I have been fortunate, been blessed to, you know, the company has grown. And I've been uh, blessed to have uh, a lot of money uh, thing, uh, for Ghanaian standard or whatever standard you want to put it. So I had the ability to travel and do whatever I wanted to do, you know. And then so I met uh, my ex-wife th through church. So I was for my church. We used to have a, it's like an exchange program about what pastors and the uh, congregation. So every year of maybe two or three times a year, we'll have different congregations from all over the world will come to the church. But I was an co international coordinator for my church. So all the people that came outside, I am the one that's making sure that they get into the right hotels. I'm the one that coordinated to make sure that they get from the airport to uh, the place, to their hotels, and then going on the excursions and things like that. I was coordinating with the church to make sure that their stay uh, becomes uh, memorable and things like that. And uh, my ex-wife was the same person for her church here. So that's how we uh, ended up getting together. So we worked together for maybe two, three years, you know. And then again, I guess the more you spend time with people, you might learn to, you you know, you you f fall in love or you see you have some things in common with them, and you know you get attracted to them, and that's how it happens. So when it actually happened, when we decided, when we started dating, it was a uh, you know long distance for a while, but then. She came, she would come to Ghana, uh, came to Ghana a couple of times. And then when we decided we were going to get married, we made a choice because I asked her, can you live in Ghana? You know, and, and I know the typical American does not want to live uh, anywhere else outside of America. So it was, it was a conversation that we had that said, okay, I'm okay moving to live in it because I can for me, it's easy for me to be able to transition from being there into the culture here and to, to do the things. My skill is transferable because I can, construction is the same everywhere in the world. So I can transfer my skill here, which she could not because she was in banking and she did all kinds of stuff and she really was not keen on that. So I said, okay, we'll do that when uh, I move here and then We'll figure out after uh, our kids are a little bit older or whatever we decide to do. And uh, unfortunately, you know, it didn't work out that way. We, you know, we ended up uh, in divorce. But I was blessed to have one of the smartest and the most caring kids that uh, you can find on the block. And the coolest, actually. He's Yeah, he's well, that's what's kid. funny. I think about that story that I told about the 2010 World Cup. And everybody knew Lil Frank. We call him Lil Frank because you were Big Frank. And I believe he was there that day. Yeah, he was there. Yeah. And he was like kind of embarrassed of oh, it because yeah, yeah, he was he like, because he was only, how old was Frank he? Frank was. Because uh, he's like 17 like, now or something. No, he's, he's 15. Now. 15. Yeah, now. but so Frank was like, he was a little, like four or five. I remember him being. I remember really I used little. to bring him to the pub every time to come and watch game, and he, yeah, he would play he, with Susan, and uh, yeah. he was so embarrassed in that uh, that tournament. You are absolutely <laughs> correct. He goes like, "Dad, what are you doing?" I know. Nice. But uh, it was good for him to see what uh, patriotism meant to me. Patriotism wasn't a, and I'm sure we'll talk about it. I, I feel like 
patriotism in America in some ways or sometimes is too uh, performative. It's not about what I'm doing to make sure that my other uh, citizen is actually safer or it's, it, it's doing better in their life. And it's more about, you know, it's a badge of honor, which usually we don't even honor, in, in my opinion, the way we kind of deal with certain things. Well, it's funny. This is a good time to bring this up, I think. Because, um, you know, you're a religious guy, uh, and you're from a, we'll, we'll call it a traditional culture. Yeah, predominantly it's a male-dominated society, yeah. 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 And so you fancy yourself the common-sense conservative. That's what you are. That's correct. That's what you say. That's who I believe But I this am. is, a, yes, that's who you believe you are. I think that's a good way to put it. Like, you, but I think there's another reason for that, too. I think because you you came here and sort of were like, well, I'm here now. And so it wasn't like a culture shock necessarily. You knew what was up. I mean, you, you had gotten married. You had been in, 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 in different places. But you were like, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to see this like American dream. I can do whatever I want. Like you kind of bought into that. Um, and you sort of like, now you had a little bit of a head start because of your experience before you moved here. Correct. But you bought into that too. But I, but I, my contention, well, you, say what you want to say and then I have my retort. No, no. I actually uh, do believe, uh, I actually agree in, uh, with you in, 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 in certain ways. Yes, I did buy into, hey, um, the American dream. The reason why I, I bought into what was the, the freedom and ability to do whatever I want to do or achieve the things that I think it's it's there to be achieved. However, what the advantage that I have as an African, I actually have more advantage as an African man coming to America than a black man that lives in America. And that's one thing when I say sometimes people don't understand that. That's it because for an African, when I came here, even and the good thing is I really because for me to be able to come in here I had to do a background check, criminal background and all that. However, even any mistake that I made as a child really does not didn't matter or factor into what I was able to achieve or what I'm able to achieve here. I'm able to go to school. I was I was able to come here, get a bachelor's, get a master's and I didn't think that uh, there were anything that was stopping me from being able to achieve that. So in that sense, I felt like, oh, it's the American dream. Anybody can walk in here and you can be anything that you want to be. But I also needed to understand what actually goes on beneath the bumper sticker American dream. There's a lot more going on underneath of that. Then it's just like an iceberg, you know, that, that you, you see about a, a foot or let's say even 10 feet of iceberg at the top. But beneath that iceberg, there might be like 50 feet, 60 feet of ice going all the way down, you know, but you don't see that. Yeah, because you I, came here, uh, you kind of skipped that part. I did skip that. Yeah. I was an older, I was about 30 years, I was about 29, 30 when I, got, I came in here. So it was a matured. Uh, I knew what I wanted to do. I have the world in front of me in terms of America because, again, 
I skipped all the things that my son is actually dealing with now. I didn't have to deal with all of that. Yeah, we talked about it tons about just like the police. Because obviously you can't skip that. I mean, you skip the way that uh, young black men are treated, how the, you know, what the... Uh, what the media says they are, what the news says, and the fear-mongering and all that. So you skip that part. But, you know, when you walk down the street or you're driving, you're still just a black dude. So you knew, I, I remember having this conversation years ago, and you're like, because I think Frank was probably three or four or something yeah. like mm-hmm. that. And you're like, oh, no, I, I, like, I got to skip it, but he's not going to get to skip it. No, he does not. And I have tried because, again, and that's sometimes, and I... I want to be careful, and I've, I've had this conversation with my son, Frank. I said, I want my experiences not to be your experience, your experiences. I want my experiences just to be a yardstick for you to measure some of your experiences that you have. But you need to have your own experiences because nobody called me N-word when I was in Ghana as a kid. Yeah, No, uh, my interaction with the police in Ghana was completely different than a black person's interaction with police here, depending on wherever they are. And I've said this to people. I have an African accent privilege that most people don't. When I say that, people say, what do you mean? I say, okay, the African accent privilege, I've been stopped multiple times by police officers. And the conversation changes immediately I speak because they hear my accent. And the conversation goes from, oh, from where's your driver's license and registration to, oh, you have an accent. Where are you from? Oh, I'm from Ghana. Oh, I knew a guy from Ghana or from Nigeria. So the conversation is actually not why they even stopped me. Conversation goes about me, them knowing somebody from Ghana and somebody uh that they they hang out with a friend and things like that. So that's that, that's the my always uh, always go by and say that is my uh, African accent privilege, you know. And you really see it like um, it must be very clear to you how it's all fake, like it's all made up, because you live like as you said, you lived in Ghana. None of this was really uh, it wasn't a thing. Or when you speak with your accent people have a different idea than if you didn't than if you spoke with a Philadelphia accent or something like that and so it really paints a picture like oh it's just all fake it's just all sort of a it's a way we do things to to achieve a particular goal but it has no grounding in uh, reality reality yeah yeah I mean and that and that's the thing is uh as again and I tell people I said I'm I'm a Ghanaian by uh, birth American by choice and I think America is one of the greatest countries in the world. If you listen to what I says, it's one of the greatest countries in the world. America was the greatest country in the world at some point in time. And I feel like it's important that uh, the, the, the country is what it is because of the citizens. It's not, any, it's not, it's not people who make... There's not a whole bunch like six or twelve or some the government sitting somewhere making America great. It is the people who live in the country who have to be able to see how great is our country, you know. Well, and let, let me let me. This is a good time to bring this up. Interject here. 
because we've had this conversation before, but I want to flesh it out. The continent of Africa was just ravaged by Western colonialism. I don't think there's any question about that. Everybody knows the stories and, and all of that. The great African leaders who sort of fought against that, let's, let's, let's see if they I were can all let's, let's, let's see, yeah. let's see how, how many I can name off the top of my head. Patrice Lumumba from Congo, uh, our man from Burkina Faso, uh, Thomas Sankara. Sankara, yep. Uh, your boy Kwame. Kwame Nkrumah, yeah. Of course. Uh, he went to Lincoln University. Yeah, that's right. So did uh, Gil Scott Heron. Yeah. Um, uh, Madiba, of course, Mandela, Mandela. All of this. What What do all of those people have in common? I, for me, I look at it as all those people have in common, what they have in common was the African has to be the one in control of its own affairs. The African needs to be the one that is making determination about how they want to live their lives. And the Western world, as, and, and, and that, this is one of the things that always kind of drives me nuts, is it's always portrayed as they came in to save some savages who didn't know how to manage their affairs. No, 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 no. Ghana had a nuclear reactor when we get kicked the British people out. We, we, because our government, those people believed in sustaining our people and also, you know, well, here's what I'm going to say. Sankara, as you said, uh, assassinated. Um, the, the Congolese assassinated. Uh, Lumumba, Lumumba yeah, assassinated. Lumumba. Uh, now Mandela had to go through it in the beginning. <clears throat> he went to jail for, for went to prison for 30 years. Uh, even uh, Kwame. Kwame Nkrumah, he was lucky. He, he, well, he went to, he got, he, he was ended in exile. up being in exile, yes. Yeah, so he yes. went to yes. Guinea in exile. Was, and he died, he died in, in Guinea. Europe. Yeah. Or he died in Europe, whatever. He died, he died, he died outside died, the yep. country. Yep. They were all communists. Yes. And so I guess my, my question is, how do you, so you know that the, what you said I think is correct. The Pan-African idea about Africans need to be, can, can take their resources, their birthright, and run their affairs the way that they want. And it's just interesting that the way, the, the theory by which, or the political philosophy by which the, the most important leaders of the Pan-African movement decided to uh, make that happen was a leftist ideology. Yes, and, 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 th and that's one of the things that, when you talk about communism, what is communism? Communism is all about community in, in a lot of yes. ways. You know, socialism. What is socialism? Socialism is all about social fabric of the society in which uh, we operate. But America is so good at putting some labels and making it the caricature of the ones that didn't actually work. Because sometimes people talk about the communism, the things that didn't work in that environment. But we take all of that out and put it as that's what the whole idea is all about and, and i've told you that uh, i'm a practical uh, capitalist i believe in uh, 
free markets. I believe in all that. However, I, I believe in all those things. You also believe in Jesus, I, though. So, I, yes, I do. <laughs> but I do also believe that you see the excesses of any of these ideologies is bad. Excesses in communism. I feel like. Sure, I guess I look at it like. I mean, take, look, take away the excess. Let's look at capitalism. The excess in the capitalism. Capitalism is basically we we are the arguable the richest country in the world. Well, I don't even think it's an argument. But we have one of the worst educational systems in the in the world. Meanwhile, we have research that tells us that a kid's zip code actually can give us an idea about how the kid is going to end up being as they're going through the school system. So we do know. Why are we giving more money in our education system to the places that have the, uh, the affluent family and then the, actually the people that really need that don't have that? Yeah, and I guess that because the market that you believe in does, says the opposite. Like that's a market. That's a that's a market condition. You know, it's like the the best is the best, and so the best people go there. And if you don't have the money, or you were you don't have the the status, or you were born into a particular station in life, you don't have that. You don't get. They call it access. Yeah, you don't have access. But we're not even interested in giving it to you. Where somebody like Sankara. Mm -hmm. Kwame Nkrumah. Kwame Nkrumah. They're interested in giving everybody, the, giving everyone that. Absolutely. G That's Ghana, the difference. This, this Ghana is the, this has is the, one of the best, had one of the best education system in the world because everybody went to school for free, you know. And the, the, I remember uh, when we were, most of our school system was boarding school. And the reason, the reason I was boarding school is not because some Parents don't want to hang out with their kids, which is the case in a lot of ways in other places. Send them away. Yeah. But for us, what he wanted to do is, and that's what you're talking about, the communism, the community aspect of it. He said, if you are from Wilmington, because there have been so many civil wars and so many issues with tribes and all people not knowing other people in different places and we have that same issue here in america about race so i'm going to say this he said if you are from philadelphia you're not going to go to school in philadelphia you're going to go to boarding school in wilmington so that you can live in wilmington and see the community which the people that i live in the community when you know people you give them the benefit of the doubt when you know people you actually see the best in them because you interact with them all the time. So almost when we started, most of the young people all over the, uh, Ghana went to boarding school in different states. And what it did was there has been s civil wars all across Africa. Ghana is the only country, one of the few that have never had a civil war. Because the reason being, civil wars were usually tribal. But because people moved and live in different environment. You cannot go to war with your brother because your mom might be from Philadelphia, but your dad is from Wilmington. So we're talking about in the tribal and the same thing. If can you imagine if your Rob, if your dad is black and your mom is white and you are talking about race, 
Who are you? You are both of your parents. So that changes the way you talk about race. But that's the thing. That's some of the things that the community thing that, and you're talking about communism, he felt like that's what needed to happen for our community to be able to move forward. Yeah, and I think there's a stigma to these ideas that is just, you know, it's just a story that we tell ourselves that it's that you know that the extremes of this mean totalitarianism or the extremes of this mean a dictatorship when actually we just want to address you know the needs of everybody and sort of build like you said a social fabric i mean if if i go on the street with a with a with a camera and a mic i can i can walk down the street and talk to 100 people and ask them to explain to me what communism or socialism means if I'm not exaggerating, I will have 95 to 96 percent of those people who would not be able to explain it to me. No, I think that's right. You know, however, you hear that same people spewing, oh, we don't want America to be a socialist country. Do they even know that the police is, if, if that's the case, the police is socialism. Uh, the military is socialism because we, we're taking care of them. Um, post offices, uh, I mean, these people are getting all those things. It's part of the social fabric of what we are doing. But I feel like, I don't know whether it's the people who are the socialists or the people who are the communists or whatever. I feel like they have not been able to get their message across the way that it needs to be. Here, here's what I think it is, and I'm wondering what your take on it is. Obviously, part of that American dream, part of that, like, the, the myth of that of coming here is that the individual can do whatever they want to do so of course the people telling that story were you know rich and had slaves and 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 like all of that stuff but that's the myth and it, and it persists it persists it says i i i can give up any connection i have to the social fabric and if I give that up, then I have the individual freedom to go out and do whatever I want to do. The world is my oyster. It's wide open. Well, it's really not. But at least you, you, you feel like it is. There's this individual thing. And so you're, you're willing and as an American to turn away from any obligation you might have to the social fabric, any obligation you might have to your neighbor, uh, or your fellow country person or the kid that's going to school in your neighborhood or whatever it is. Capital has worked forever to try to get you to, to think that you don't have that obligation, that you can live as your own person, make your own way, make your own riches, and do whatever you want. And I think that's the thing here that makes it... Uh, it, it makes it intractable, and 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 that's the thing. I mean, again, the, I've told you, I you know, I'm a common sense capitalist. How, uh, so you how, say this is what you say, but I feel like, you know, the capital, the excesses of capitalism has turned America into a billboard. When I say turn America into a billboard, is it's a billboard advertising what is great about everything that's you know about uh america or about capitalism but actually do not address the things that we actually have to look at in the that doesn't work for capitalists in, in the capitalistic society we, we we have 
there's no reason why the very people that we vote for them to go into the Congress uh, and to go in with no not being rich or anything like that, and then come out multi-millionaires. I have never seen any job that you can work that job for what two terms, three terms, and then come out uh, having eight years later. You're uh, you are multi. Elite. You are elite. You are multi-millionaire, and I feel. And then they turn around and say, "Oh, don't give money to people." who actually have lost their jobs because of the pandemic. For the $600 a week or so that uh, they are making. But most of, most, most, the funny thing is these people, you have, you have a guaranteed salary where you are not losing anything. They're, they're paying you whether you show up to work or don't show up to work. And I feel like we, we from what I'm seeing, as, as if we are moving away from being each other's keeper, you know, being, the, I, I want my friends. I don't know to if we ever well. were. I don't know if we ever were, hmm. actually. That's interesting. I mean, I, I've always, and again, we've always looked at America as America will go out, they will help people out, they will, because that's what. Well, that's the story we tell to everybody. And because of the economic riches, we're able to tell that story and hide the other stuff and be like, look how rich we are. It must work because we got all we have all the money. Well, yeah, I mean we have all the money, but not really not that's not how we got it all though. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like that's the thing. We're able to show off the size of the economy and the resources and the and the things that we've done, you know, the war the world wars that we've won. Um, but we don't really say how that happened. That's the trick. And and you, you might be right. One thing, though, that I feel like uh, America, we can do better with is the way we fund our education. And this is what I'm saying. If, and the, and the operative word is if, if we can get all our students to have quality of education, I feel like we'd be a different country. And And the reason why I'm saying that is, the so-called elite are always trying and doing different things to cut funding for education. And so I'm beginning to think, is it because they would rather have the people in whatever mindset that they are in, that people are not really well educated, people are really just following Republican, uh, Democrat, instead of people being able to say, hey, this idea that you are coming up with no, because we, are, we have good education, so I have good critical thinking skills and be able to decipher and synthesize information that is coming into me and to be able to make up and say, no, what you are feeding me is the whole crack of nonsense. Well, I mean, you see that. It's, well, that's the thing. The elites sort of protect their, you know, they send their kids to friends in Tower Hill, Tattnall, uh, you know, uh, St. Andrews, all of this stuff, not to, you know, that's, I think, the difference. And you probably see that just in a Votech school where, you know, it, I, I don't know what kind of funding, like, you get different than maybe just a regular public school if you feel like you have a particular sort of student that is on a, on a trades track or is, like, learning something different. So that could be, you know, kind of, kind of different. How did you, 
how did you get into that um, uh, to begin with? I mean, obviously you had that skill, but the education bit of it, going from construction to education. You know, it's crazy. I never wanted to be uh, a teacher, to be honest with you. I remember back home, like I said, I wanted to be a lawyer, and then I went into construction. And uh, for in Ghana, and, and again, let me pay, go back and say, it. in Ghana, when you graduate high school, it's, you have a choice. Immediately graduate high school, you can go and do a national service. And that's another thing. So you see, they're building that service to the country. So you can go do national service. Or you can wait, and when you graduate uh, college, you do two years. So you have that choice. And I, one of my uh, high school, uh, gradu uh, when I graduated high school, I worked with, uh, like, let's say, City of Wilmington. And then I went around and paying different things and all that. But after college, I had to teach for uh, my national service. And I still, after that, I said, there's no way I want to be a Even teacher. Even after doing yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I said, there's no way I want to be a teacher. And my younger brother was a teacher, actually. He was a social studies teacher. It's actually, I always say he's the smartest one in our family. And... Uh, so, when I moved to the U.S., I worked for a church as a maintenance guy. I've always been that mindset, and that's how I say about, I'm going to do everything that I have to do to take care of my family. So, I worked there, and then, I don't know if you know about Wilmington Job Corps. They're on Vanderbilt Avenue. I do. I'm so, familiar. Then the, uh, the director there had come to the uh, church where I was working, and they were talking about they needed a safety guy and all those things. And then my uh, pastor said, hey, apply for the job. He said, I gave you this job just to keep you, get, bring some money in, but I don't expect you to be working here. This is not, I know what you did. I don't expect you to be doing this as a career. So I moved to the Wilmington Job Corps and worked there for about six months. And then the uh, construction teacher quit and they needed one. I'm like, oh, great. So I said, okay, I'll do it. And then I moved in, I did it, and I actually started enjoying because it was mostly with minority kids who either dropped out of high school and needed to get a trade and get a high school diploma and then be able to get a job. And that's what I realized. And the funny thing is, they've had, they've had had about four or five teachers come through that didn't stay. Because the kids were hard. But what the kids needed is they wanted someone who actually cared about them. You see, that's the mistake that a lot of people make, including teachers. Kids will only pay attention to you when they realize like, you care about them more than the one plus one is two. That's who we are as human beings. If you, if you work for a boss and you realize that the boss cares more about your family than the output that you are bringing into work, you realize that it, everything changes. Your productivity will increase because you realize, like, he actually wants you to do better. He wants, he cares about your family and all those things. So I did that in a friend of mine. They were building the St. George's uh, and then told me, hey, they're building a new tech school. They're going, they, they, I saw they advertised that they're going to need a... Uh, a new teacher and I applied and uh, I even forgot about it and then I got the lady who had encouraged me to apply for it said hey 
They have stuff out there. They, they, we, they're doing interviews. Check it out. So I went and I did uh, check out, and I realized they had sent me an email about it two weeks ago, trying to schedule an interview. So I did, went in, had an interview, and then uh, I ended up getting the job. Cool. Well, let's take an interlude. We are here back in the bunker, uh, back garden, and uh, yeah, we got somebody who's doing uh, some tree work, I guess, over there. So we're going to uh, take a little interlude. We're going to talk about Frank's time at uh, <coughs> St. George's and other things, Garab's hands and other things. Uh, but first, we're going to take a quick break. We are building a religion. We are building it bigger. We are widening the corridors and adding more lanes. We are How do we move forward? How do we fund the schools so everybody has there the same school? Yes. How do we make sure everybody has the same health? How do we make sure that the laws are applied equally equal, across the board? Correct. There's no, we don't have to, we, somehow we need to convince everyone that, and, and again, this is true, so you feel like it should be easy to convince them, but it's not. All of the stuff about like racial stuff and other people and immigrants, it's all fake. Yeah, because it's 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 just to give. It's either to make a couple of activists outraged and get them on TV to make all those noise. When actually, some a lot of some of these activists, what they are doing actually are not benefiting the black community in the first place. Like you said, it is an. Uh, they are doing some of these things to elicit outrage in one part of the uh, society and then the other societies also feel like oh my gosh i'm being victimized then they also are outraged why can't we get to a point of saying we know there's racism in america we know we are not going to eliminate racism in america because it's baked into the social fabric of a lot of the stuff that happens but what we can do is, how can we mitigate that racial issues from affecting kids going to school, getting the education that they need, with people going and, and uh, getting a job, you know, and, and things like that. Because I don't want, I don't want, they, they call them what, uh, I've heard a couple of buzzwords thrown around, so that they call them um, social justice warriors. Oh boy, here we go. You know. I I am a black guy who I feel like my experiences in America is actually different than an American that is born in America. So I actually, a lot of the time, when some of the things are going on, sometimes I defer to people who are born here. And like my, my former boss, I will, I will get on the phone and I will have a conversation with him. He's a former Air Force uh, guy. The black guy, and I'll go when they're talking about like the anthem kneeling and all those things, and then I'll, I'll go like, "Hey, you, you're a black man, you have a biracial child, you served in the military. What's your take on that?" You, there's no way I have to be more angry about people whether they are kneeling or not kneeling than the guy who actually served in the military. Well, the way I look at it again is like, like you said, there's a big. You know, it's like they 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 make it out to be a sports game. You know, it's just like Proud Boys versus Antifa. I know. You know it's all. It's actually all fake. It's all performative. That's my it's problem. It's all performative. Yeah. That's everything. But but again, that that's but but, but like people that. only can th can think in those terms. Terms because we've made everything binary. We live in a binary truth. You cannot say 
racial profiling is bad. We need cops. We need good cops in our neighborhood. But we don't want uh, people to loot or break things for the sake of doing that. Yeah, but when the cops, like I said, you you skipped you skipped the part when you're the kid here who the cops are just beating on every day, who you send to a school that's garbage school because you don't pay for it, and so the kids just fucking bail, and then they get out in the street and the cops fucking put their put their boot in their neck, um, put them you know put them in the in the in the school to prison pipeline. And that's what kind of sets it up. That's the thing we were talking about that you you sort of were like able to skip. I was um I am able to. I, I was having a conversation uh, with someone when uh, an, another coworker when the, uh, there was that shooting of that uh, gentleman in I think is it Atlanta shot in the back where his kids were in the car. Oh, that was in Wisconsin. Wisconsin, okay. And I was telling someone uh, Kenosha, I think Kenosha, Wisconsin. Yeah. And so I was talking to someone. I said. So look at this from your perspective or from anybody's perspective. If you're a child, if you're that guy's kids and you were in the car, let's say, and I'm, I'm, I'm giving a latitude, let's say their dad was wrong. However, there were those three kids or two kids in the car who saw their dad getting shot. For a kid, a kid doesn't care whether... Their dad is a criminal, another criminal. A kid has lost my dad. These are little kids. So, so they saw that. That is imprinted on their brains. It's going to be difficult for that kid to trust a police officer, no matter what. Because in their kid's brain, they saw their dad being shot by a police officer. And again, I said, let's say that dad was as wrong as you can be. But the whole thing is in life, a lot of the way we react to things is because of things that we've seen, things that we've experienced, and things like that. That that makes it difficult for that kid to ever trust a police officer. Yeah, and I mean, again, they they shouldn't. I will go back. I'll tell a quick story, and then we'll talk about... I want to talk about Garaba's hands, because... Uh, I know, I mean, I understand your relationship to your mom. Yes. Um, you have a relationship to my mom, too. Definitely, my mom, yes. Uh, one thing people don't know is uh, Frank's not just a friend of mine. He's a friend of the family. Yes. Uh, I'm actually the favorite son. I mean, you, you have to say that I am the favorite son. Here's the thing. <laughs> I feel like fucking uh, Elizabeth Warren. Here's the thing. Here is the thing. My mom might like you more than the three. Of course, she. I mean, Kevin though. Kevin has kids though. She that's might, true. She, yeah, yeah. Kevin, you're a, up there. I will, I'm out there. Yeah, but I, I, at least I'm above you and Kenny. Yes, that's I. All you know, I have to. I have to be honest. You might be right about that. Um, <coughs> you got me off track now. That's funny. <laughs> my mom, my mom and dad do uh do like you more than definitely like you more than me. Grab his hands. Yes. So that is your mom? Yes, that's my mom. Um, so talk a little bit more about your mom and a little bit more about the, the charity that you started here um, to, to support uh, the, the, the school kids yeah. and, and, and what you're doing. Yeah, so, uh, uh, you know, I miss my mom. I was, I was with her what, uh, just last week. That's the funny thing, you know. 
Well, when I was home and uh, when how I, old is she now? My mom is uh sixty six. Sixty six. Yeah. So my mom's yeah. So uh, my mom is like again. I grew up in a, a traditional like Rob. You keep saying like it's a traditional society. Uh, the man dominated. The man gets to go to school. The man gets to do you know in the olden days and. Uh, Men were the head of the household, all the uh, nine yards. And uh, my mom didn't have the opportunity of actually going through high school, you know, because she had three or four brothers and they, they had to go to school. So my mom didn't get that opportunity. So uh, she ended up uh, having to help uh, her mom in trading as a kid. So when she, and in Ghana, our education is broken up in a way where you go from uh, primary through uh, middle school. And then after middle school, then you have to go into high school. But it's not like a a seamless transition because there are young, there are people that will go through middle school. When they finish middle school, they will not go to high school. They'll go and learn a trade. And that's their life and then they go and do that so my mom didn't have the opportunity of having to go uh through uh high school but one thing that she always did was uh she supported all of us she wanted to make sure every single one of her kid went to high school graduated and actually continued past high school so i have a of the six siblings that are all six of us, my uh, older brother, who's my mom's first child, he's a master carpenter. My uh, myself, I've been able to. Uh, you know, I went to college. I get you know went to get my masters. The one that's behind me, who's the smartest one in the family, he went to. We taught. Went to college. He has his masters. He has actually a master in business administration. He uh, he's an um, a registrar at a university in Ghana. Uh, my the next one he has a, uh, a bachelor's in um, hotel management. Oh, and I have the two girls. One actually, when she finished um, high school, she went into a fashion school. So she actually design designs and makes uh, clothes. So if anytime you see Michelle wearing anything, she makes it. Yeah. So she's good. And then my other sister, she. Also has a, a, a degree in business administration. She she worked for the, she worked for a bank, you know. So, but my mom wanted all of us to education was very important to my mom. It was one of the things that, even when she didn't have money, she would do anything to scrape whatever little she can get to make sure we get all the books that we need. Make sure we get all those things. So, uh, we always, you know. She always did that, and then my house, I think, if I'm not exaggerating, I would say there were like 20, 30, 40 people that came through my house. My mom paying for their fees, my mom cooking, my mom making sure they get us we got older. After today, there are people that have come in through my house. There are times that I talk to my mom, and my mom will go like, oh, bring me some money. I go like, why? You need, I just gave you money last week or something like that. we always going back and forth. He said, yeah, one of the young uh, kids, she needs to get some school supplies for school. I'm like, Mom, I give you that money for you, not for the kids, you know. 
but she has always been very focused on education and making sure the kids, especially girls, are getting what they need. So because of that mindset, as I was growing and in my professional life, I was helping a whole bunch of people that I knew. Some of them were my friends that I I knew they didn't have the resources to go, but I did have the resources because of the work that I did. And I'll pay for them in the university. They were going to, I'll, I'll help them pay because it wasn't that much money. Because our universities in Ghana are subsidized. The public universities are highly subsidized. So, socialism. For example, yeah, no. And it's all set up by uh, Kwame Nkrumah. Yeah. So, for example, socialist. Had to, had to live out his life in exile because in he exile. wanted because pe- he wanted people to go to university because, for free. Yes. So, for example, a kid can go to University of Ghana and will have to pay three thousand dollars for the year. He's getting the same education that a kid that went to University of Delaware end up getting. Because the funny thing is, most of those guys who went to University of Ghana. We have the University of Science and Technology in Ghana. A whole bunch of them are, are lecturers at the University of Delaware. They went to the uh, University of Ghana. So, you know, they had the opportunity to be able to do those things. And uh, my mom's always been like that with that. So a couple of years ago, I think about three or four years ago, I was in Ghana with uh, Michelle. And I was talking about, we were talking about all those things. And then I said, yeah, I want to be. I got to find a way to pay back all the stuff that my mom did and um, be able to. And then Michelle said, why don't you start the charity? You've already given people, paying for people to go to school, doing all those things. Why don't you do that? And then I'm sure we have our friends who will be willing to help these kids go to school. And um, so we made that decision. And... That's what Garaba's Hands was born because Garaba is my mom's traditional name. So, oh, that's your mom's like yes, uh, like tribal name. Tribal name. So in Ghana, we all have. So like for me, I am Kofi Apia, but everybody knows me here as Frank Hansen in the yeah, because Kofi Apia, everybody's named that in Ghana. I feel like <laughs> or Apia anyway is a big, is a, a very big, com- yes, very common a, name because it's a tribal name. So if you are from that tribe or you have a family member that is related to you know so it's that's your yeah that's what you get and then uh, like you're usually in ghana your your first name is the day on which of the week you are born so, so i was Kofi born on is, friday and Kofi is friday yeah so you know about Kofi Annan, and the uh, un uh, yeah um, yes. he was also born on a friday he was born on a friday <laughs> exactly see. yes so uh so that's basically that's what it is so we, uh, that's why uh, Grava's Hands uh, was born. And uh, the, the, the whole goal for Grava's Hands is uh, to be able to, because there are a lot of girls that cannot afford to go to school because the same thing that happened to my mom, they have to go and help their moms and their family. Like run the household. To run the household, to go is. and uh, help with different things, so to go and work in the shops because they need to bring money, bring food to the house. So a lot of these kids sometimes will stop and not go to school. So what is happening now is we have about, I think about 35 kids now, 
And what we do is we we able to raise funds and then we able to supply them all their needs for the school year. And the great thing, like you talk about socialized uh, education, so like in Ghana now, every kid can go to school for free. For a while, you have to pay to go. But now you don't have to. Every kid can go to school for free. However, the parents and the families that have to supply their uniform, because Ghana, you have to, every school has to wear a school uniform. Every student has to wear a school uniform. Totalitarian socialism. <laughs> yeah, if you want to put it that way. Yeah, I mean, everybody, yeah. And, and, and the families have to supply all their books and then all kinds of stuff that they need. They, they don't have to uh, pay for the uh, tuition, but they have to provide for and that. And, and, and in the last two years, I was just talking to people when I was in Ghana. The crazy thing is all the elite high schools, we have a, a science and math uh, contest that we have all over the country. For a long time, all the elite high schools were winning. Because most of the kids that could go there, the parents couldn't afford it, so the kids didn't go in. And the kids didn't even go to high schools because the parents couldn't afford it. When they changed the whole thing, our, our, now, our president now, Akufuado, changed that all the kids, now any kid can go to any high school. They have certain criteria, like a GPA. If you meet certain GPA, you can go to the top tier schools. You know, they have all these things. But the funny thing is, the kids going to the, maybe the second tier or the third tier schools, they are kicking all the uh, elite schools behind. So they are now the ones that are actually controlling the, uh, the sons and my quiz that they do. And so... Grabber's Hands has been able to put these kids in places where the parents don't have to worry themselves about what they can have for their kids. And I was in Ghana, and I, as you know, I was in Ghana uh, for about three weeks, and I, I did a presentation for their coming up academic year. They have their backpacks, they got all their pencils, they got their books, they got their shoes, they got their uniforms. And so I present all of that to them. And the great thing is it takes about um, 150 to $200 per kid for the year. Just to get them through the year with supplies, fees, all that stuff. There's that. And seeing how excited these parents are, because for the some of, I mean, some of these parents are very poor, but for, 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 for they know that now they don't have to spend that Fifty, hundred, hundred and fifty, two hundred dollars that they get, and that actually will go towards helping the uh, family members out or being able to put food on the table for the family and all that. They don't have to spend it on school supplies. That makes a difference. That makes a difference. We will definitely link uh, to Garaba's hands in the show notes because I think it's dope. Uh, I mean, you know, Nurse Susan's been involved with it. I've been involved with it. We Definitely, yeah. We did a big, uh, we did a big fundraiser. That's where I bought the beautiful uh, cedar I cedar box that, where I put my drugs. Which I'm, I'm still offended about it. Every but. time I put, I have a uh, so, so there was a um, fundraiser for Garaba's hands, 
And we all went, and there was different things you could bid on and different things you could buy. And there were these beautiful cedar boxes. They were maybe it was like an oval. It was like six it was inches over, long, yes. but like maybe three inches this way. But and it was these cedar planks. But then the lid on it was beautiful because it had like a little lip, so it actually sealed with a little handle. This little wooden box. So I was like, man, I could put like I could probably put a half ounce of weed in this. And and so I bought it for weed. And people I love it, but I don't I don't understand why you won't sort of market yourself as a person who makes beautiful boxes for drugs. Exactly. You just Why wouldn't you do say that? Say that. You said it. I mean, you, There's no you, way I would ever. You know me. I am not. <laughs> there's no way I would ever market myself as like making. a beautiful drug box. No, that would never happen. But, I mean, why not? You're because in America that's not now. Who People I am. don't care. People don't care. No, I know, but, but I do care. That's the, see, that's the difference. I know. So the thing that uh, I don't know much about because it just happened, I guess, did you know this was, uh, so the, the fellowship or the grant that you got, did you know that before you uh, left for Ghana and it happened or did you find that out when you were there? So I. So let me, let me anyway, I should probably say, uh, Wilmington University has uh, promise grants. They set up mentors. Uh, for different things, I, I don't know a lot about it. I just found out, but you were you were the recipient of a uh, of a promise grant through Wilmington University. Uh, what's that all about? So, about six years ago, I took a class at Wilmington University with a one, one Dr. Brewer, and in my class, and then there was a discussion and all those things. And I remember she telling me, "You are fascinating. You." Your thinking around education is so different than the traditional way of looking at it. Fascinating, I mean, come on. I know. Hey, hey, don't hate. It's uh, like it's uh, like it's not around. You're you thinking about education as a traditional way of looking at education in terms of how the education has to be delivered, how kids has to be you know dealt with, and all that. So you know, and so basically, I took that class, and that was it. So about uh, just about a month before I went to Ghana, I got a call. And I almost didn't pick up because I didn't know the number. So I picked up and then said, oh, hey, Frank, this is Dr. Brewer. I'm like, oh, hey, how's it going? And then so she told me that uh, so Delaware, uh, Wilmington University actually have done, they, they have a research that has shown that which I'm surprised that they have to do research to uh, in this in in America for us to figure that one that that if you have a school where you have black male teachers in the school, it does not have to be teachers to the student, but just the black male teachers being in the school. It actually changes the test scores for the minority kids that are in the school. And I was like, what do you mean? He said, yeah, so let's, if, let's say they have black kids in, uh, in the school. Most of our schools have, uh, you know, it's mixed. If there's a black male teacher in the school, their test scores improves just by that black male being in the school. The, the teacher doesn't, the male doesn't even have to be the teacher in the, in the kid's class. So he said, so Wilmington is deciding that they have these grants and they want to start 
bringing minority uh, male in uh, their educational program. However, they don't want to bring them in and keep them hanging. That's one thing that I feel like sometimes education institutions don't do a good job at it. They don't have enough mentors. If you any other business, they have mentors that help uh, the people develop. So uh, she told me that uh, I didn't ask you, but I have already recommended you that you should be the one that's the mentor and run the program. And I said, oh, okay. <laughs> so what does that mean? What does that mean? He said, just say yes. I said, okay. I said, but are you going to give me some? He said, no, all that it is is we want you to be able to meet with the people, uh, this, the, those who are getting those scholarships. And also, Wilmington University, as they move forward, want you to actually come in and then talk to the faculty, uh, try to help with professional development, explain to them what are some of the things that we need to do and how we can do some of the things that we need to do to bring a lot more minority male teachers in the system because we don't have enough minority male teachers in, in America. It, it, it's crazy. So I said, okay. So she told me, okay, that's good. And um, is it? And are you doing anything outside of uh, da, 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 uh, your teaching and all those things? And I said, no, yeah, I run a charity. And then I said, okay. So apparently they went online. Said, can you give me the you know the website for the charity and all that? So they went online and then they did their own research. And then they realized, like, uh, we are actually doing something that is having an impact on uh, children. So that's what ended up. So, But I didn't even know that they were doing the whole write-up on that. I just thought they were looking at it and then we'll post something uh, internally that, uh, hey, we have uh, Frank Hansen on board and da, da, da. And then I turn around and it's a whole. I actually didn't know my school superintendent uh, Dr. Jones emailed me whilst I was in Ghana and said, hey, Frank, I want to say uh, congratulations. I'm really uh, proud of all that you're doing, even outside of school, blah, blah, blah. Uh, I saw a post uh, from Wilmington University. I didn't know. So I just said, thank you. And then I went back. And you had no started, idea. You were like, no hey, idea. thanks very much. Yes, I had no idea. <laughs> That's fucking good. So I went back and then I saw that. But then I had already met with the dean of that um the education department and a couple of the uh, board members that are all those things. And uh, and I told them what I think um, has to be done, uh, what has to be, you know, they have to pay attention to. And then, uh, so we ended up um, having a really good conversation. And then, and so that's how we came by. Did they know that you were a Chelsea fan? That's what I was Oh, I mean... You know, if I think if they knew I was a Chelsea fan, they would have actually figured out a way to give me the whole education department. Unbelievable. <laughs> you know what? I have a lot to say about this, but uh, they're, 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 they're cranking up over here. We're going we're gonna, to we're gonna roll it up. We're going to have some chicken. We're grill pilling out here. Definitely. Uh Frank, I appreciate you uh, coming in. Hey, Rob, I appreciate you uh, talking to me. This is uh, so much fun. We should do it again. We, we may do it. it, it, it uh, I think it's good. I want to do it another time. Let's talk a lot more about politics and about, about uh, 
Look, we're trying to talk about politics, and I tried to tell you uh, that your your branding, the way that you brand yourself, is nonsense. No, but you see, people, that's the thing with America. You guys feel like people have to take certain uh, routes. And I have had this conversation with, like, I, and I, I just found that recently. I was talking to, when I was in Ghana, and I was talking to my cousin, I said, I used to have emotional attachment to religion. I don't have that anymore. Because I've seen too many things with the leaders of the religious groups that I've done that my beliefs are still the same, but emotionally I'm not attached to the way they practice their religion. I believe in the things about doing well, helping people out, helping the poor people out. Those are the things that I believe in. Yes, I still believe in Jesus. I know you have an issue with that. But I don't. I actually, it would never here's make a difference. Because I believe that Jesus did so many things that actually, if we were doing it today, a lot of people would call him that he's what, a socialist? Because he preached to people Maybe. and fed them. Yeah. Today, we get pastors that will bring the people in the church, collect their money, and send them home. The people don't even have food to eat. No, well, the funny that's thing where is, I am. The funny thing is, I I love um, I love getting on you, but like, you have the. Well, we're not going to get into the religious conversation no, we'll, today. We'll but do I, it another I, time. I appreciate. Yes. I I I definitely appreciate it, and uh, all of the Pan African uh, colonial fighters in uh, in yeah. Africa were all uh, communists. They came in us. Yes. Just, let's, just, just, That's true. Let's just they, be clear about they that. Were, they actually were very aligned with Cuba and Soviet we had Union. Most of our doctors were actually Ghanaian doctors at a point in time were actually trained in Cuba. Of course. Yeah. Which they, they, that's true. They were trained in Cuba and uh, in USSR. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, folks, we're going to eat some chicken now and uh, we're going uh, to sign off because the... Uh, the, the the lawn the, the the leaf work is happening. Yes. But I want to tell you to uh, look at the Delaware call and tell me that that's not some of the greatest journalism that you've seen in this state in in decades. So uh, take take a look at it. Please support our work. Take a look at Garaba's hands. Support Frank's work. Uh, support Carl's work. It's everywhere. You know where it is. And uh, we'll be talking to you soon, friends. Left is best. <laughs>